The next of my posts was called The Cellar Rats. In his notebooks on crime and punishment, Dostoevsky wrote, quote, Svidrigailov, the most desperate cynicism. Sonia, the most unrealizable hope. Unquote. These two characters, the only two who have heard Raskolnikov's confession, represent the two paths between which his own psyche has been torn. The former, in the words of critic Joseph Frank, the unrestrained egoism of a man indifferent to morality. The latter, self-sacrificing Christian love. According to Frank, we see in this conflict an expression of Dostoevsky's own tortuously anguished relation to religious faith. Dostoevsky, like Raskolnikov, looked upon the purity of Sonia's faith with involuntary awe and self-conscious skepticism. His conscience drew him to her. His mind struggled to be convinced. Seen from that perspective, Svidrigailov's suicide is still more haunting than it is even on its own purely literary terms. It is the dark expression of a tortured doubt, the artistic rendering of a man who holds, consciously and fully, the conviction that all is permitted, but who, consequently, suffers the most profound self-loathing and existential despair. Svidrigailov mocked Raskolnikov for his concern with virtue. He boasted of his depraved exploits. He was implicated in the deaths of his own wife and a young girl. He threatened to rape Dunya. In this chapter, we see such a man left alone with his conscience, and the vision is chilling. Here's how I saw it. His reality is a low-pitched room with a dirty bed and shabby yellow wallpaper in a godforsaken blackened wooden building. It is a world of religious pretension, where drunken beggars moralize about how the finger of providence sees all. It is a life in which the waters of the Neva and the trees blowing in the wind present nothing more than a horrid landscape of possible suicide. It is an existential condition of sordid unpleasantness in a cold and dark room with mice leaping on your chest and crawling under your shirt. Critics make the most of this scene, as I'm sure you can imagine, and I read a variety of interpretations, including that it was a foretelling of the grave with its crawling vermin. But I stand with Joseph Frank, who says, quote, the cellar rats of his own past swim out of his subconscious, unquote. It is the state of longing for innocence and beauty, for flowers and a garden and an English cottage with plushly carpeted stairs. But those stairs lead to a coffin, and that coffin contains your vilest sins. It is the feeling of rage that there is nothing, given your worldview, to protect the innocent and helpless from becoming the object of a hideous depravity. It is a life whose activities amount to little more than a mindless catching at flies. It is a life of dirty pavements, lined by dejected houses with closed shutters, where dogs walk with their tails between their legs and men lie drunk in the street. It is a world where romantic symbols are empty 
and the copper helmet of Achilles sits on the head of a peevish, drowsy guard who doesn't want the trouble of your death. It is a vision of such empty, horrible despair that there is nothing left to do but put a gun to your temple and pull the trigger. The last of my posts was called The Fullness of His Heart. It has become more and more clear to me over the course of this novel how much of it reduces to a very basic conflict between Raskolnikov's conscious beliefs and his conscience. His mind has persuaded him that the exceptional man has a right to transgress and that a murder committed for the good of humanity is not a crime. His unanalyzed moral impulses fill him with a tortured self-loathing and arouse in him an involuntary awe for the Christian goodness of Sonia. That very basic conflict appears in Raskolnikov's encounter with his mother. He does not know what brings him to her. He is drawn there by a decision that it would seem he did not consciously make. After all her tearful, fawning, self-deluded expressions of confidence that he will be one of the leading men of Russian thought, he tells her what he has come to ask her. Quote, Mother, whatever happens, whatever you hear about me, whatever you are told about me, will you always love me as you do now? Unquote. And, we are told, he asks this from the fullness of his heart, as though not thinking of his words and not weighing them. It is when he is not thinking, not weighing his words, that he is capable of humanity, of love, of an expression from the fullness of his heart. It is when he allowed himself to be moved by these subconscious moral impulses that he can ask his mother to pray for him and can allow the possibility that God will hear. Alone with his mother, having dropped the defense of his conscious convictions, allowing himself to be driven by moral feeling, he can recover the innocence of his childhood, and he can love his mother, embrace her, and weep. Quote, yes, he was glad, he was very glad that there was no one there, that he was alone with his mother. For the first time, after all those awful months, his heart was softened. He fell down before her, he kissed her feet, and both wept, embracing. Rhodia, my darling, my firstborn, she said, sobbing. Now you are just as you were when you were little. Unquote. But by the time he leaves her, we see his conscious mind begin to resume command. He begins to regret that he had come, and by the time he arrives home and encounters Sonia, his heart has begun to harden again. He tells her bitterly that he hasn't faith, but he has been weeping in his mother's arms and has asked her to pray for him. His mind's efforts to take control, his desire for conscious explanation, is clear when he says to her, quote, I don't know how it is, Dunya. I don't understand it. I don't know why I did go. I am a contemptible person, Dunya. Unquote. Her reassurance that he will expiate his crime through suffering prompts his pride to flare again. He cries in fury that what he did was not a crime, and he once again reverts to his intellectual arguments. He declares, quote, I've never, 
never recognized this more clearly than now, and I am further than ever from seeing what I did was a crime. I've never, never been stronger and more convinced than now. Unquote. But his conviction is checked by the anguish in Dunya's eyes. As he parts from her, he tells himself that nothing of all this would have happened if no one had loved him and he had not loved. That, I see, as the assertion of his inner Svidrigailov. It is that choice between the internal moral conscience that allows him to love, but that has caused him to suffer, and the conscious conviction that defends him against suffering, but that negates the possibility of humanity and love.